Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. message today is from 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 Ecclesiastes, and it's entitled Vanity. And I love this this particular scripture. It's Old Testament, but I love it because it's written by a man who literally, literally had it all. Let, Let me explain. Many of us would say if you understand economy, the earth's economy, we would say that Bill Gates is one of the top three Richest people in the world. Okay? We all agree, right? Solomon was more rich than him. Literally, Solomon had everything plus some. He had so much money. You know how, uh, I forget the brother's name, but he's trying to create it where people can pay enough money and take trips out of space. What's the guy's name? He owns Virgin, uh, Virgin Airlines. I forget his name. Richard something. Richard Branson, thank you. He's trying to do that. Solomon had so much money back in the day that if he wanted to do it, it would be done. Literally, he was not denied anything. And here he finds himself at the end of his years, and he's like, man, I've had all this money. I could do anything and everything I wanted when I wanted. I had everything that I thought would fill me up, money, riches, women, Y'all know he had hundreds of wives and then even more hundreds of women on the side. Side chicks, as they called them, whatever. Concubines is what the legal term was back in the day. And, and, and they weren't just any women. These were the finest women in the land. That didn't satisfy him. He had the biggest crib there ever was. His house was like crazy, incredible. Literally, gold everything, gold toilet paper. He was the bomb.com. He had it all going on. And in the end, only to realize, dang, all of this stuff. I was the wisest man in the land, one of the greatest rulers to ever live, had a big house, had all the money. Matter of fact, they, they wasn't no, nobody had more money than me anywhere. I was the greatest. Matter of fact, if we even go a little further, I was even cut from strong pedigree. Do y'all know who my pops was? David, the the giant slayer, the great king David himself. And if we go even further, we can trace his lineage was powerful. He literally had everything and comes to the end of his life and realized everything that I had, including my bloodline, was worth nothing. It was all vanity. Let me tell you a little bit about this word vanity. Uh, in the, the word vanity in Hebrew literally means, and, and, and the word is halal, halal in Hebrew, and it literally means vapor. 
literally means vapor. And if, and, and if we go to the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes, a very, very, very popular saying, everything is vanity of vanities, 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 vanity. Everything is vapor. My bloodline is vanity. My money is vanity. All of these women are vanity. My clothes, vanity. My crib, vanity. Everything is vanity apart from God. And as I look at social media and, and, and I see people buying likes, what, what is the world coming to? You can buy likes. You want to be so impressive that you would pay for people to like you. And I say, you know what? We are searching for fulfillment in the wrong things. How do I know? Because I know and you know people that we see in the spotlight, people who, who are famous, who, who, who have a lot of money, can do anything and everything they want to do, but some of them have died because they could not even sleep. They died because they couldn't get something as beautiful, as simple, a wonderful gift called sleep. Money can't buy peace, y'all. And that's ultimately what we all are in search of. This is why we spend money. This is why people are buying likes. They want a certain kind of peace in their life that says, I'm cool. Everybody notices me. I'm cool. I'm popular. I have friends. So we're buying likes. And then, and then we always talk about plastic surgery. Plastic surgery is, is just it's off the chain. But I was, it's funny how this happened. As I was preparing this message, I was reading in the news the other day, like the, 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 the mecca, the main guy, the, the dude, the, the guru of Botox, almost like the founder, if you will, killed himself. Brother, you've been making people beautiful, but you can't find inner beauty. Whoa, that's preaching this morning. Couldn't find beauty. He's been making millions of dollars making people look beautiful because they're paying to impress other people that can't get them in the glory. But here it is. He himself was not satisfied with the man that he himself created. Botox couldn't fix it, nor could the money that Botox provided fix it. And I want to tell you all today, and this is what we're going to talk about for these next three weeks, all you need to fix your whatever your thing is that you think needs to be fixing is God. And I know that's, you know, in church, that's so easy to say. That's so, oh, yeah, duh, we're in church. Of course you're going to say that. You know, if we were outside, would you say the same thing? Yes, because I was a paper chaser. I chased money too. I had money. <laughs> but it didn't satisfy me. As a matter of fact, I was at a moment just like Solomon where in my little world, I had everything that I wanted. Literally, at the time in my life, I had everything that I wanted. It was small to some of y'all, but to me, it was a big deal to accomplish what I had accomplished at the time. And I found myself unfulfilled. I tried every religion except for Christianity. Christianity threw me away a long time ago, and it just was hard for me to come back to it. But I tried religion. I tried drugs. I tried women. I tried, tried getting the nicest car with the nice rims. I tried to live in the best neighborhood because that would attract more friends. I tried all of it. I t listen, 
If I told y'all the number of addresses I've had in my life, y'all be like, yeah, this brother was really searching for something. I've lived all over, literally. And it's not because I was evicted. It was because I was searching. My address, I didn't have a permanent address till I got married, y'all. Seriously, that was because my wife wouldn't let me move anymore. That's, she said, uh-uh, I don't like moving. I was searching. And I had to come to a point where I, I, I left everything. I left a fully furnished loft apartment up in upstate New York with a paid-for BMW. Literally left it. Told the landlord that I was enlisting in the military so I could break the lease. And they were like, okay, didn't have to provide proof for anything. Call my sister up and say, sis, go pick up the car. It's yours. Any furniture, it's yours. The TVs, all of that. And I came here, and for the first time since I left for college, slept on my mother's sofa. My mother's like, you don't shave. You've been in the same clothes in a dark house. I don't have cable, so (laughs) what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. And someone invited me to this church a growing church in Marietta, Georgia called Turner Chapel AME. And something happened to me there that forever changed my life. And today I stand before you as a pastor because I realize all of the material stuff, all of that other stuff didn't get me to where I, where I am today. And I am at peace. I may not have a whole lot of money. I may not have uh, the greatest house in the land, but I tell you what, I've got so much doggone peace. It's crazy. I'm happy, I'm content, and God can take away any of my material possessions, which aren't many. If he take away my drums, I might have a challenge with God because I love my drums. I mean, we may have to have a sidebar conversation, he and I, but he's blessed me, and it's not about money. So, so today, I can go on and on. I can give you all my testimony. Most of you all know it. Today, I just want to talk with you all a little bit about what, what does success mean. If, if you would, pause for just a moment. Some of y'all can answer this right away. Some of y'all may have to think about it. If I were to ask you right now to tell me what success means to you, what would you say? Don't yell it out. This is, this is between you and God today. What does success mean to you? Is it, is it that house you've always dreamed of? Your kids going to the best college in the world without you having to pay a single dime? Is it, is it your daughter marrying the perfect young man or your son finding the perfect bride? Is it you having the perfect mate? Is, is there a certain amount of money that defines success for you today? You, you, you don't have to answer that to me. But I want that to be the thing that you hold on to for the remainder of this series. What is success to you? Because here's what I know. We all measure it differently, right? Can I be honest? We all measure differently. Success to me some years ago was was something else. Success to me today is pleasing God. Whether it's, whether it's how I raise my children, whether, whether it's how I, 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 my, my marriage looks, whether it's how I even pastor, that is success. What does God want of me is success for me. I know that's cliche. It's easy for me to say. I'm the pastor, right? Yeah, you're the holiest person in here because you're pastor. No, it's not true. I'm not the holiest person, number one. <laughs> I probably got just as much sin, if not more, than some of you in my life. But my goal is just like Paul to endeavor to finish the race 
to endeavor to finish the race. And the race is what God has for me. It's not about me. Sure, I'm on this earth just like you. And there are certain things I want. There are certain things you want. But at the end of the day, I endeavor to please God. I want to know that he's pleased with every single decision I make. I want to know that he is pleased with everywhere I go. I want to know that he is pleased with how I spend my money, how I make my money. I want to know that that is success for me. And there's no earthly way I can measure it. The only way I'll know if I'm successful is if I actually get up there and he's like, my good and faithful servant, well done. That will be the only way I know. But it makes it easy for me to strive for here on earth because that is what I want in the end. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I've, I've gone far, far too deep. Ecclesiastes opens with a message, opens with the scripture saying this is from the teacher or the preacher. The word Ecclesiastes itself means preacher. And this book is written from the preacher or teacher that we all know as Solomon. Solomon is speaking of a pl- from a place of life without a vertical perspective. Everything he's saying is, is, is if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and I had a young mentee of mine ask me, he says, was, was, was Solomon depressed, pastor? I was like, I don't think he was depressed. I, I, I know Ecclesiastes reads to be a little bit melancholy, if you will. But there's purpose behind it. And today I'm going to try to unpack some of that. He's speaking from a place of life without a vertical perspective. He opens the very first line that he's saying in here is everything is meaningless. Who would want to read a book that starts that way? I mean, honestly, who? Would, everything is meaningless. Well, then why the heck am I doing this thing? Why am I going to church every week? Everything is me. Why am I praying if everything? Why am I sacrificing my time to serve? Why? If everything is meaningless, why the heck are you up there preaching this thing? If everything is meaningless, the very first thing he says in the book, it opens that way. The first line, it says, this is from a teacher, the preacher. The preacher himself is saying, everything is meaningless. That's the second line you read in Ecclesiastes. But what he's speaking from, my brothers and sisters, is from life without a vertical perspective. And the truth is, everything without that vertical perspective is indeed meaningless. You can't take the big house. You can't take the big car. You can't take the money. You certainly can't take the women to the grave with you. You, you can, but I mean, I, honestly, they won't go to heaven with you. They just don't transport that way. <laughs> Here's what he says. He said, I had said to myself, Come on, let's try pleasure. Here you have Solomon in this place trying to figure out how can I fill this void? I got all the money. I got all the women. I got the biggest house. I have everything I need. I got a good bloodline. But, but how can I feel, figure this out? So he starts by process of elimination. He's, this is what we call, uh, scholars call this area the experiment. Here's what he does. He says, to fill this void, He said, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. So what did he do? He tried pleasure. How did he try pleasure? Well, you name it. He did it. He did it. He had more wine than anybody. Do y'all know? Let me me give y'all some reference. I want y'all to check this out on your own. Write this in your notes just so y'all understand what I'm talking about. Write this in your notes. I want y'all to go back and check out 1 Kings 4 and 22. 
First Kings 4.22. Let me tell you what that is. This is the breakdown of his daily requirements. This is the breakdown of what he required daily. It was a whole bunch of stuff that he required every day. When I, read, when I was reading Ecclesiastes, now don't judge me, people who are visiting us for the first time. I haven't always been saved. Uh, my favorite comedy ever in the world is Coming to America. I know it's a lot of custom, but that's what makes it funny. And, and, and when, I, when I was reading this, I was like, man, that's like Akeem. Okay, for y'all don't, who don't know coming to America, try to find the clean version. I don't want to taint nobody. I did watch it before I was saved. And plus, my daddy is in the movie, so I had to support Pops, you know, even as a teenager. I was a teenager and watched that movie. Now I think about it, that's crazy, all that cussing. Anyway, I thought about Akeem. I mean, literally, think about it. Akeem didn't even have to wash his own tail. Akeem didn't have to lift a fork to feed himself. Matter of fact, Akeem, he was so regal and so royal that he couldn't step on regular dirt. He had to step under, uh, uh, on top of rose petals. The rose petals had to be on top of the dirt. If you didn't see Coming to America, find a clean version. All right? I put it out there. It's on the podcast that I told you all to find the clean version. But if you come up on the other one, I did not recommend it, although it is funnier. But just what I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> he was so regal, his parents wouldn't allow him to even step on dirt. He had all of that. He didn't even have to go to the dating sites to find a woman for him. They found that for him, and she was fine. She hopped on one leg and barked like a dog, a big dog. Y'all, oh, y'all do know the movie. <laughs> but what he couldn't find with all of the treasure, all of the money, even if money had his face on it, he couldn't find love. And what he was really searching for was not just love, it was peace. See, if I find love, then I'll be peaceful, I'll be happy, I'll be content. All of the money, I know that's fictional, I know it's just a movie, but here's the reality, some of us are just like that. If I ask one, if I ask y'all right now, hey, pull up your bank statements, and I, I and and I, and I looked at your spending for this week, I wonder how much of that really went back and honored God. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not. Listen, I'm not picking on you. Just understand that. But I'm, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you, because because that's what King Solomon did. End of his life, he pulled up his spending statement, and he says, you know what? I done spent a whole lot of money, but doggone it, I'm still miserable. I'm not happy. There's something missing. And then, then you find Akeem and coming to America. I got all of this. My father provided this fine woman, and, and I got all the riches in the world. Even the elephants hang out with me. I'm, 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 I got it going on, but I am not happy. So let me humble myself. And that's what Solomon had to do. He had to humble himself and look over his life and see how much with all that I did, did I honor God. Do you know the only thing that Solomon asked of God when he became king? The only thing he asked, his one personal request, was not riches. His one personal request was to be wise. He asked God directly, I want to be the wisest Man in the world. But what good is wisdom if you don't use it? I know it done got quiet. What good is wisdom if you don't use it? 
God gave him that, and he didn't use it. God even blessed him with riches, and he didn't use the wisdom to do it right, to do things for, that would honor God. And we're the same way. So, so I'm not picking on you. I really am not. I promise you. Thomas Aquinas says this. Oh, let me finish. So, so he said, let me try pleasure. Pleasure didn't work. So he said, but I found that this too was meaningless. Here's the second thing he did. So I said, laughter is silly. What does it do? Hold on, let me fill it up. But I found this to be meaningless too. He's talking about pleasure. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? So he decided in this moment to find pleasure in comedy, right? Because doesn't laughter make you feel good? You laugh, you know, your belly hurt, oh, man, your throat hurt a little bit, oh, man, you didn't laugh, you had a good time. Laughter's cool. So this man hired Chris Rock, Chris Tucker, Eddie Murphy came out of retirement. He brought them all to his house. I mean, he had the best of the best. He brought Rich from the, you know, Richard Pryor from the, I mean, he had it going on. But none of that was pleasing to him. That wasn't enough. He laughed himself silly is the point he's trying to make here. What good is laughter? I can't find pleasure. Even laughter is, is meaningless. And I already told you all about the wine. So he decided, well, the next thing he says is, after much thought, I decided I'm going to cheer myself with some liquor. Got some wine, got some Henny, some Moscato, you know. He got some of that Ciroc. And he wasn't pleased. That wasn't enough. Getting drunk ain't worth it. It ain't happening. He said, I'm trying all everything. It's, and, and, and it's still meaningless. Thomas Aquinas wrote that this. He wrote this. He says, no man can live without delight. In other words, we are all, all programmed to want pleasure. We are all programmed to desire things. We are all programmed to, 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 to be happy on the inside. There's, there's something in us that says, I want joy. I want this happiness. We are programmed for this pleasure, and, and we, we can't help it. So Thomas Aquinas is saying, no man can live without delight, and that is why a man deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. We need to appreciate pleasure, my brothers and sisters, as a gift, not a God. Wow. When I read that, I was like, ooh, ooh, shame on me. Because pleasure has become my God. Pleasure has become your God. Maybe not today, but it has been or will be. And I'm trying to avoid that in your life. Pleasure is a gift we all are required to have. God gives it to us. If you were with me about two months ago, I shared with you the Song of Solomon. Oh, and that's all about pleasure. Somebody out there heard me. Pleasure is great. It's a God-given gift, but it cannot become God. Pleasure can't replace God. And we've allowed that, and this is why we spend. That's why I said that. If you look at your bank statement, how much of your spending honored God? And if a lot of it was on, on self stuff, you know, then, 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 then that's for you and God to work out. <laughs> Solomon never said no to himself. He gave into every impulse devoted to the pursuit of happiness only to discover he was chasing after when. He was materially rich but spiritually bankrupt. And I don't want that for you and I. I don't want us to have all the possessions but be spiritually bankrupt. Okay? So, so, so here's what we're going to do. I want to give you some notes. 
We're going to talk about what success is. I hope you still have that in your mind, what success is to you. Success according to God. If you're taking notes, here it is. Success according to God is success is found in God. Success is found in God. That's the most important first thing you got to get for this entire series, that success is found in God. Not social media, not friends, not, 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 not your family, not even your spouse. It is found first and foremost in God. Watch this. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Let me pause real quick. Oh, the joys. They're talking about a person that is blessed. They literally use in other translations that very word blessed. I will translate what the word blessed means for you in just a minute. Keep that there. Put your thumb on blessed, right? Okay, here we go. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night they are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do oh the joys the word blessed literally means make happy that very word blessed specifically speaking from this scripture when they say oh the joys it means make happy those people that would, would seek, seek out to make happy, to be blessed literally means to make happy. Your delight will naturally be in God's law, and you will meditate day or night. And this means that like a tree planted by a stream of water. How do you know that? How do y'all, how many of y'all know that that tree that's planted by that water, a, a streaming water, is a blessed tree? It's a happy tree that will always grow. Whether it rains or not, it's by a stream that's ever flowing. And you and I have access to a very similar stream. We have access to a very similar kind of water. As a matter of fact, Jesus told a woman at the well about that water that she would never thirst. And here it is. The same scriptures here saying this tree would never thirst. That tree that's by that stream will never dry out. The roots will forever remain strong and will be grown forever and you and I if we just become that tree and tap into a spigot of holy water that never ever allows us to thirst anymore then we don't have to be thirsty for stuff outside of God it's funny how when when you see somebody that clicks your picture a lot like when guys are searching out women it's funny how the young people use that word oh they're thirsty it's no coincidence that they use the word, oh, they're thirsty. They are thirsty, but they're thirsty for the wrong thing. See, if they took a sip of the water from the well of God, they wouldn't thirst anymore. He promised that. Success is found in God and not in stuff. Success is found in God. Romans twelve three says this, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. This is Paul speaking. Don't think you are better than you really are. Here's the part I want you to get. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves, not by the stuff you accumulate, 
Not by your pedigree, not by your degree, not by the neighborhood you live in, not by how much money you have. By what? By the faith God has given you. Measure yourselves by the faith that God has given you. Measure yourself by the faith that God has given you. What does that mean? It means that I don't have to worry about following the status quo because I serve a God that does all that I need him to do. My faith lies in him. I only follow the status quo because I'm afraid of being left out by people when I should be focused on being kept by God. Forget the status quo. Hang out with people like God, <laughs> who, who is all you ever need, and hang out with godly people, which is my very next point. Success is found in God, but it's also found in relationships. Success is found in relationships. Now, now I don't want to discourage anybody. Let me share this scripture with you real quick. Matthew 37, 39. It says, it says, Jesus replied, you must, did I say 30? Okay, we'll go back to that. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me share something with y'all. And I got to correct that. I said 37, 39. I'm sorry about that. Let me, let me share something with you. If you read the Ten Commandments, only four of them have to do with God. The other six have everything to do with relationship. These are the Ten Commandments, y'all. Only four of the commandments have to do with, with God. The, remainder, the remaining six have everything to do with relationship. God sees relationship two ways. Some of y'all have heard me say this. God sees relationship two ways. Y'all ready? This way between you and him and this way between you and his people. The Bible even tells us, forsake not the fellowship of other believers. He wants us to be in godly relationships with people that will hold us accountable. Now, we don't like that word accountable because accountable suggests that I've done something wrong and you've got to check me on it. But no, accountability means that I can count on you. There's a word. I can count on you when I can't count on myself. I can count on you to pray with me and for me. I can count on you to have my back when nobody else. I can count on you. See, we take accountability as you checking me, and accountability is absolutely not that. It's I can count on you. When I need you, I know I can count on you. I've got a friend in Jesus, but I also have a friend in you. God loves relationship between him and his people. Y'all do realize that the Son of Man could have came by himself and did everything by himself, could have changed the whole world. He had that kind of power. He had that kind of authority. But the very first thing he did after he left his hometown, he says, let me get me a couple homeboys to hang out with. These fishermen look good. Come, y'all come hang with me. Tax collector, they don't like you no way. You can hang with me too. I like people like you. Picked up a whole bunch of just regular folk to be his homeboys. And hang out with and have relationship with. He had 12, but he had a very intimate relationship with three of them. 
If you read the Bible, you recall that every time he went to pray, there were about two or three of them that were with him, and he would go up, and they would wait while he would go pray privately. He always had just a few that had his back. Matter of fact, Peter had his back so well that when the guards came to, to take Jesus, Peter, Peter was like, you know what? He took his fishing knife, off and knife out and said, you know what? Not today, homeboy. And he cut that joker zero. He said, I got your back. Now, we know he denied him. That was part of the process that had to happen. History said that had to happen. But had he not denied him and Jesus came back and forgave him and the Holy Spirit covered him, he would not have had the courage to stand before a few and change thousands by preaching the word of God. Even Jesus had intimate relationships. Lazarus was his homeboy as well. He had relationship. God says it's important for us to have relationship. Here's what I want to tell you. I've shared this before. You cannot do, you cannot, listen, evangelism is not having a piece of paper like that guy that tricked me with that dollar bill that time, that track. I'm not going to repeat it, saying, hey, here's the scripture. God bless you. Evangelism is not you knocking on my door talking about, can I read this message with you from this magazine? Evangelism is, 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 is not just going door to door saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And then not following up. Evangelism and discipleship are one and the same, and they happen in the context of relationship. They happen in the context of relationship, hanging out, getting to know one another breaking bread together. Do y'all know when every, every time they got together and they were about to discuss something deep, one of the first things they did was cook a meal? And I know we got some people in here can cook, and we need to be breaking more bread together. God sees our relationships with each other as extremely important. The Bible even tells us, uh, you know, the work, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He even tells us. So why would he say that? Why would he say the harvest was plentiful, plentiful, but the workers a few? Because he said, listen, I need y'all to go out there and get some more people that are just like y'all so that we can take care of this harvest. It's a big harvest. And no one single man, no one single church, no one single family is going to be able to take care of this huge, gigantic harvest. I shared with you all last week that, that one-third of the entire world's population is Christian. One-third of the world's entire population is Christian. Wow, we should be excited. Or should we? Because that means two-thirds are not. That means that two-thirds of the world's population are not followers of Christ. That means that two-thirds of the world's population don't believe what you and I believe, that, that, that a man came, an innocent man came, died, hung on a cross, rose three days later so that you and I could live. Two-thirds of the world's population don't believe that. The harvest is plentiful. Two-thirds type plentiful. But we've got to attract other workers, other people that will come alongside of us and convert others. Or not convert, we can't convert, but share the message and let God convert. Transform people, amen? Here's, here, here's the third thing I want to share with you. This is my final point. Success is found in God. Success, according to God, is found in relationships. Success, according to God, is found in serving. In serving. 
Matthew 20, 28 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love that scripture. But you know another scripture that I really love? There's a scripture in the Bible where Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and the disciples are just, you know, bickering back and forth about how they're going to get into the kingdom and, and yada, yada, yada. And Jesus right there at the supper table, he, he grabbed his robe and grabbed a basin full of water and just didn't say nothing. He just started grabbing funky feet and washing them. Eggs, being an egg. This is the king of kings, Lord of Lord, son of man. I'm son of God. He is the great I am, and he takes this moment to demonstrate to them what service really means. Here I am, your Messiah, your Savior, and I'm getting down on my knees at the supper table and washing your cruddy feet. Now, I'm not saying go out there and wash a whole bunch of people's feet. I'm not saying that. We're not that kind of church yet. Maybe. I don't know. But what I am saying is posture yourself the way Jesus did that moment. Just kneeling down is a posture of humility. Kneeling down before someone, kneeling below them is already saying, I'm humbling myself before you. Let me, the son of man, serve you. And that's what God requires of each of us to serve others. We exist for a purpose beyond our personal desires, y'all. We do. A great man, a great pastor whom I respect a great deal, he passed away a couple years ago. And I had the great privilege of meeting him once. And it was at a very very, very dark time in my life. This church uh, was going through a transition. I was emotionally numb. I, I, I didn't know if I was hurt, if I was happy, if I was sad, if I was glad. I didn't know what was going on. You ever been in that place where you're emotionally numb? You just don't know how you feel. You, you don't even know if you feel, right? You're just walking around. Everything's like the twilight zone. I was in that place. And I went all the way to California to meet with these great pastors and all of them were phenomenal. I mean, there was Bishop Noel Jones. There were so many. I mean, this was private. This was a private. It was a small group of pastors. I didn't even care. But this brother got up and spoke. And um, his name was Pastor Sher- Sherwood Carthage out of uh, Sacramento. And he got up there and he said something that forever changed my life. He said, Make somebody else's life better simply because you exist. And that resonated within me because it it, it made me think, well, dag, maybe that's why I exist. Maybe that's why you exist. Not to make your life better, but to make somebody else's life better. We exist not to get our own stuff. Because here's the thing, we could do that. We could do Solomon. We, some of us in this room are that smart that we can get everything we want. We can ask and have it. But if we don't make somebody else's life better, then what good is it? And I think that's where Solomon was in this particular scripture. He began to look back and say, I got all of this. 
But who have I helped come up? Who have I blessed? Who have I shared this with? What is my legacy? And I charge you today, and we're closing, to look at success differently. Not by what you accumulate, but what you give away. Mm. Not by what you accumulate, but what you give away. And here's what I want to tell you, and I'm going to pray. Our worship team will come, rather, then I'll pray. Here's what I want to tell you. The most valuable gift you can give anybody is your time. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.